We cover a lot of ground in today's episode. We talk about how to discern if the dream you have is from God, what the Lord is doing in the church in this season, rhythms of rest, and how to embrace what God wants to do through you in the small moments of life rather than always chasing the big ones. All of that on today's Dreamers and Disciples. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Wade Joy, and this is a podcast where we help you reset your rhythms and renew your dreams. Now, we have a very thought-provoking and challenging interview with my good friend, Ryan Romeo, today. Isn't that a great last name? And as part of the discussion, we talk about how to have healthy rhythms in our lives, particularly rhythms of rest. And I actually have a free ebook designed to help you establish healthier rhythms in your life. It's called Seven Rhythms to Renew the Health of Your Soul, and you can get it at the link in the show notes or at wadejoy.com. Now, I wanted to let you know about that resource because I really think it'll help you, and it's a good companion for what we talk about in today's episode. Now, Ryan is the interim lead pastor at Living Streams Church in Phoenix, Arizona. He's also an author. His latest book, Head in the Clouds, Feet on the Ground, is a survival guide for creatives, visionaries, and dreamers. So there's a lot of synergy with what he writes about in that book and what we talk about here on Dreamers and Disciples. He's also a podcaster. He has a podcast themed around that book called Head in the Clouds. And he also was the creative director and co-founder of the Outcry Tour, which is when I first met him back in my Elevation Worship days. But Ryan has since become a really good friend, and he has a lot of very profound and wise thoughts on discipleship, on dreaming, and on really embracing what God wants to do in the local church today. So I think God's going to really speak to you and bless you through this conversation. Let's get right to it. Ryan, we're excited to have you on the podcast today. Welcome to Dreamers and Disciples. Thank you so much for having me on, Wade. It's an honor. Man, I was just, I was thinking about this this morning as I was getting ready for the interview, but you sent me a text on October 12th, (laughs) 2021. And what's crazy about this is the previous text you had sent me was in October of 2019, two years before. So it wasn't like- Oh, really? Yeah. It wasn't like you and I were like big texting buddies (laughs) back in the day. Yes. But this is what you sent me. And you said, hey, Wade, just felt the Lord put you on my heart. This may be way off, but I feel like you are facing a significant decision. I was praying for a peace that surpasses understanding over you and your family and clarity. Hmm. And so what you didn't know when you sent me that text was that my wife and I were months, almost a year into wrestling with this decision to step away from staff at Elevation. And we were really close to feeling like, okay, yes, he is calling us to step away. Hmm. But I was terrified. I was scared. I was nervous. And that text from you was just one of those moments where I felt like the Lord said, hey, I see you. I'm with you. Hmm. You're on the right track. Yeah. And it was a pivotal moment for me. And so hmm. just publicly, I want to thank you for that. But God used you <laughs> in a really powerful way in our yeah. journey. And you know, we've become much better friends since then. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah. we, we first met when you were uh, you were one of the co-founders, creative directors for Outcry Tour. That was one of Elevation's, if not Elevation's first like large scale tour. Yeah. And so you and I met in those days, and you spent. We both spent a lot of time in arenas and worship experiences. Now our lives look different. You're on a different journey. Yep. Talk to us about kind of the path the Lord has had you on in the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, I think. I mean, first and foremost, that word, it was really funny because um, it really did hit me out of the blue, just sitting in my prayer time. And I was like, all of a sudden you came to my mind and I had a sense that it was something having to do with elevation. So I sent you like the G rated version. I was like <laughs> a little bit safer version of it. But um, yeah, the the Lord just, I mean, prophecy, it builds the church up, right? You know, yeah. so when you get a prophetic word from somebody out of the blue and you didn't expect it, it really impacts you, you know, but when it comes to outcry, it's. Yeah, I mean, me, me and my friend Shane started started that tour, you know, 2014, I think, was when yeah. we first started dreaming about that tour. And just bringing, you know, your team along was so special. I felt like I had such a special connection with Elevation, kind of more than anybody else, because 
you guys were joining our tour right at this really pivotal moment in your church's life too. And I just felt such a special connection. But especially as I was talking with you, I mean, honestly, I feel like you get out on that world and it's like, there's there's the people that live on the road and they're fine doing that. That's like, that's their day job. They love it. And then there's like the rest of us, especially in the Christian world, that's like, local church people, like this is not our normal thing. We're really digging deep to try to get out there and, you know, plow through 30 cities or whatever it is. And I felt this camaraderie with you of like, hey, our main, our main life is local church world. And that really was it. I mean, I'd go out on tour for maybe a month or two at a time, but the vast majority of my time was local church world. Yeah, And that to me felt grounding, especially when you're on a big tour like that. But it's just so important, I think, for, for people to remember. It's like those tours are, are exciting and they, they, they're public and they look really cool. But the big thing is the local church. And that was the heart of Outcry from really from the beginning. Yeah. And so my journey really since then, it's I love Outcry. I love that season. I have people asking me all the time, like, hey, are we going to do another <laughs> Outcry or something? Is it coming back? Yeah. And honestly, it's just it's just really not on on my mind. Really, for me, it's the local church. And right now, our church is you and I have talked about this a little bit, but um, we would consider our church kind of a contemplative, charismatic, or contemplative, however you want to <laughs> if you want to say it, maybe the English fancy way. But we contemplative, charismatic is really kind of this dichotomy of the church world that I'm in right now in Central Phoenix of entering into this uh, sort of John Mark Comer sort of vibe of talking about society. What does it mean to do church in kind of a postmodern world? Being thoughtful, being really informed in what's going on in the world, but informed in what's going on biblically, you know, mm-hmm. um, but also charismatic, also saying, yeah. well, the gifts of the spirit are really important and uh, we don't need to make them weird. Um we just need to make them kind of a part of our normal everyday life and prophecy being one of them, maybe sending a random text to somebody <laughs> in a prophetic way, you know. But as our church has been going through this, our our lead pastor felt, you know, it was time for him to to get away. And we have a rhythm in our church of every six years, you take a three-month sabbatical. And um, for him, he came to us and said, hey, I've been lead pastor for six years. And our church started 35 years ago, and our founding pastor, you know, had handed it over in a really loving, he wasn't forced to give it away kind of way, you know, um, situation. And our lead pastor, David, came to us and said, hey, I'm coming up on six years, but I don't think I'm going to take a three-month sabbatical. I think I'm going to go on the mission field for a year. Wow. And our leadership team said, okay, you know, and we processed through it and went through all the hard work. And at the end of the day, where it really landed for us is we didn't want to bring in some sort of hired gun pastor. We we didn't want to play into that sort of idea that the lead pastor has to always be this very, like, charismatic perfectly articulate sort of person. And we wanted to really strengthen our bench a lot more and build up other people in the church. So after a lot of, you know, prayer and consideration and, and unity on the elder team, uh, they decided to to hand me the, the reins for the year that uh, David is out. So my life has looked very different, you know, from uh-huh. touring and writing books and, you know, doing local church world. And it was really important. But being in in the sort of lead pastor, even on an interim level um, position, it's a totally different game. And it's been really, I think the Lord's really graced me in it, but I've been catching more and more vision, even more, mm-hmm. I think, than in the last year of what the Lord's doing in the local church and how how powerful it is to be a local church leader. Yeah, and, and one of the things I love about you is just your passion for the church. I sensed it on Outcry and every conversation I have with you. I just feel yeah. like it just radiates from you like more and more and more. And we're going to talk a lot about that in a moment. But even in your journey from, you know, Outcry was a dream that you and Shane had, and you got to see yep. it be very successful. But then the Lord also had you lay that dream down to yeah. embrace or more fully embrace your role in the local church. And your book and your podcast is all about how do you bring to life a God-given dream? It's called Head in the Clouds. It's Awesome book, awesome podcast. But how do you discern when a season is either ending and it's time to lay a dream down, or even Mm. is this dream from God to begin with? Can you give some practical 
handles for people? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's it's perfect that the, the title of your podcast is Dreamers and Disciples. I feel like that is like the balance in my life, you know? And I, I think a lot of times there's people in the church that are dreamers that are like, man, what if we did this? What if we did that? Sometimes they don't find a home in kind of a local church or they feel like they don't find a home in the local church. My challenge to most dreamers is um, that your dream when it, you're in submission to leadership really starts to come to fruition. Mm-hmm. So when you're sitting in the context of a local church, maybe your dream is I want to do whatever, X, Y, or Z. As you sit with leadership, they might go, well, we're we're kind of excited about that, but we're kind of drawn toward this, you know? So I think when I'm looking at something in my life that's a dream, like I I, I was a worship leader for a long time. When I dreamed of outcry, Honestly, what I dreamed of was standing on stage with a guitar and singing at Outcry. Right. That was not what the Lord had for me. That was not what the Lord had for me. And I know you and I have a very similar <laughs> right. story in that. It's like that season of laying down, um, you know, platform leadership and really pouring into the people behind the scenes. And that was when you came into Outcry, you came in kind of at the tail end of my struggle with that and really me going, okay, I have a place of leading backstage here with a bunch of my heroes. What a cool thing that is, you know? And then opportunities came along to write a book. And and so I think the dream that God gave me, and I felt this year, many years ago, that I was going to be a part of big events, something like that, worship events in particular. I was listening to, uh, in high school, I was listening to Live 97. It was a, a live album by Delirious, oh, yeah. and which I, I just loved Delirious, you know. And I still remember listening to that album, and I felt like the Lord said, you are going to do something in the world of, of live events. And it felt very much like Joseph. You know, when Joseph has a dream from the Lord, it's very vague. He's just saying, you are going to be a man of great influence, so mm-hmm. much so that even your family and the people closest to you are going to be bowing down in front of you because of the power that I'm going to bestow upon you. What he doesn't know is how long it's going to take for him to get there, what he's going to be doing when he gets to that place. Like, he doesn't have a lot of detail, you know? And so I felt a lot in my life, like the Lord's given me these sort of vague dreams, these sort of inklings in the heart. And I write them down and I go, okay, Lord, maybe this is from you. I try not to put a time frame on it because when I felt like I heard from the Lord that I was going to do live events, it wasn't for another 12 to 15 years later that it actually happened, you know? So when I'm looking at a dream that I have, oftentimes I'll write it down and I don't discount it either. I think people that dream a lot, when one or two of them don't happen in the time frame that they think it should happen, they just give up on it and they just lay it aside or they get bitter at their leadership and they're like, maybe this is not the church for me. And for whatever reason, I've had this sort of patience, I think that the Lord's given me. So I get a dream, I'm excited about it. I write it down and I, and I look at it and I go, if this is in five years, if this is in 20 years, either way, I'm fine either way, you know? And I sift out dreams a lot of times with the Lord. I sift out dreams with people that are really important in my life that really have a personal connection with me and that I can bounce things off of, you know, I bounce things off of people that I think are further along than me. Mm -hmm. So Oftentimes when I was doing things without cry, I would design something and I would send it to the designers that really intimidated me. So I'd send it to a designer at Hillsong uh, and a designer at Passion, like two, mm-hmm. two churches at the time that I was like, I really look up to these guys and it would freak me out. I'd come up with an idea and I'd send it to them. I'd go, what do you think? You know? Mm-hmm. So I bounce it off people who intimidate me a little bit. I think that's kind of a part of the pushing past that boundary of fear, you know? But at the end of the day, to really have an, an, a loose grip and say, okay, well, Lord, whatever this dream looks like, I'm just going to say yes to it. I'm going to say yes to the daily stuff that leads up to it. Hmm. And really looking at your life and, and understanding that there are seasons that feel like they're a waste, but they're not a waste. Yeah. Right after I had the dream to do a tour, I was doing a lot of graphic design and my graphic design business started doing really great. And so I started working for David Crowder. I made Carrie Job's uh, first website and worked with her on her first album design. And and I felt like in my life, I was going, wow, I'm moving toward this thing that God told me I'm going to be doing. Like, this is so cool, you know? And then 2008 happened and everything just, like all my business just went away. And, you know, the economy's not doing great. And one of the first positions people cut is graphic design. They're like, it's just not necessary, you know? So I went into this sort of no man's land 
And I remember at the time I did what I felt like was giving up on life. And I went to my dad and I said, can I work at your business? And my dad owns a business, uh, an engineering company, and uh, he was doing manufacturing at the time. We were manufacturing mirrors for solar panels. And so I stepped in, my dad hired me. Um, I started working for him for a couple of years and then started like moving up the chain. And pretty soon I was like the chief operations officer. I had hired a bunch of people underneath me that were doing manufacturing about 18 hours a day. We had a few hours off, but we were just running manufacturing like crazy. And at some point I remember sitting in my office and I had, you know, a giant spreadsheet filled out with all this information on these mirrors and we were getting audited by this thing. And so I was like going through all of our numbers and, and I sat there and I was like, Lord, what am I doing? Like Hmm. I, you gave me this vision for this big event and you gave me vision for the church and I am. I'm like up to my eyeballs in Excel spreadsheets. I went to art school, you know, I'm like, what am I doing here? Why am I doing this? Mm. Fast forward, you know, a few years when we first started Outcry, the first time we went out on the road, we we were going through, you know, about a million, maybe a million and a half dollars a week. And we were hoping to recoup that. We had four buses, you know, like, uh, or 12 buses, four semis worth of equipment that we were going. We had a hundred people going with us. We had to hire a hundred people in every city we went into. And we were pretty understaffed that first year. That first year on tour, it was not uncommon for me to just break out into tears at some point because I was just so overwhelmed. And I remember at some point I was really overwhelmed. I'm like, how do I organize this? How do I get all this information in? And I jumped on my laptop. I opened Excel. I started cranking out a spreadsheet of like, okay, here's how we could keep track of everything, you know. And I felt like in the moment, the Lord reminded me of that season of manufacturing. And the Lord said, see, that's what I was doing in that season so that you could be ready for this season. And to pretend like I could have planned that or to pretend like I had some scheme going into the into there would be completely disingenuous. I I went through seasons of like, this is a lost season. And the Lord just reminded me there was no lost seasons, you know, especially if you're keeping your your eyes on the Lord, you're you're staying faithful to him, you're spending time with Jesus every day and you're you're hearing his voice. It's like then when he leads you into those seasons that feel like they're so far from your dream to understand that he's doing something in you that you'll need later. And I think the life of Joseph is that perfect example of so many times where it just felt like he's moving away from this thing that God had called him to. I mean, to the point of slavery where you're like, he's not, I mean, the, the best he could hope for in Potiphar's house was to be like the head slave in his house, you know? And yet the Lord was doing something in him and hadn't forsaken him, hadn't left him. Things that I think make, you know, for a great applause line on a Sunday morning. But in reality, it's that sort of slow, steady walk that, mm-hmm. you know, that long walk. And in, in, I'm trying to remember the, uh, the line, but it's like that, you know, faithful walk all in the same direction, yeah. that Dallas Willard line. And that's really what it is. And you could try to manufacture it. You could try to push it. And... So much of what I wrote about in my Head in the Clouds book was just kind of some practical stuff, but mostly the first half of the book is just laying this sort of spiritual foundation for understanding the times and seasons you're in and not being in too much of a hurry. And there's so much wisdom you just shared. I'm going to have to go back and listen to that answer again just to glean it for myself. <laughs> but you know, I love that you, you talked about not getting so hung up in the timing or the specifics or the particular of the dream, but it's really the spirit of the dream. Yeah because you don't know yes. all the different ways it's going to play out in your life and what shape it may take. And I was just thinking about a similar season I had when I had this band after college, the Wade Joy Band. And <laughs> that was my dream to make it, you know, as a CCM artist and as a worship leader and all that stuff. And I wanted to be yep. the next Stephen Curtis Chapman. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that didn't work out. I remember the band falling apart and I took a job at a Methodist church in Columbia. It's actually in Lexington, right outside. And I was the youth pastor and the contemporary worship leader. Number one, I wasn't Methodist. There you go. And contemporary (laughs) was a very loose term. It wasn't very, it wasn't anything like elevation. And I remember those three years, you know, thinking that my dream had died. But it was Mm. in those three years that I fell in love with the local church in a church that wasn't my background, my style, 
but I saw how a church could change a community. And I saw the mm. power of just being a pastor and a shepherd in people's lives. And it was that season yeah. that then prepared me for what God wanted to do in me and through me at Elevation. And so it was like one of those seasons too, where I was confused about where it was leading, but God knew every step of the way. But yeah. speaking of like falling in love with the local church, talk to me about what you're sensing about what God is doing mm. now in the church yeah. and maybe what God's preparing us for. Because I know this is something that you have a lot of thoughts on that I think yep. are really great thoughts, and I, I want to hear more about them. Yep. So I I think in the beginning when I was talking a little bit about that season with David stepping out, I've been feeling for a long time that the Lord is kind of dismantling this cult of personality in the church. And by that, I mean that a church's identity is only found in a singular leader, that they can attach themselves to and they go, I love when so-and-so leader does X, Y, and Z. And I think the Lord, there's so much that the Lord's done in that. Not that there's not a place for leadership, not that we shouldn't submit ourselves to church leadership. All of that is vitally important. But this idea that the church is built on only the very like attractive and articulate is just not something that I see in the New Testament and the Lord consistently chooses the foolish things to confound the wise, you know? And we know that, like, it makes a lot of sense to us. We've known this for a little while. And not that it's anything against other other churches. I mean, I've toured with Elevation and Hillsong, and I love those guys. I mean, I, and I love what they're doing. I love what they're bringing to the church in so many ways. But to lift that up as this sort of marker for every church to define success by— I think the Lord is really dismantling that in a loving way, but he's starting to pull at the seams of that philosophy in the church. And when David came to us and said, hey, I think I'm going to be gone for a year. Honestly, our like our elder team, it was kind of split at first, like half of them were going, oh, I think we're going to be fine, you know. And then the other half was going, gosh, I don't know. I mean, everyone loves hearing from David. Everyone loves hearing what he brings on a Sunday morning. And And neither side was wrong, really, but it was this sort of loving, I think for me, it was like this sort of loving way of leading leaders through like, hey, I get it. It's scary. And a lot of times pastors, I think, are kind of, I don't want to use the word victims of that, but they are really pushed on the back end by the emails they get, by the elder responses to their sermons or whatever it is. And it pushes them into this place where they go, I have to be there all the time. Mm-hmm. And I have to preach amazing sermons every single Sunday. And they have to get increasingly better as my <laughs> years go on. You know, like, and the more you do it, the more exhausted you feel just going, how could you keep that up? You know, and this sort of rat race in church leadership has shown time and time again, and we're seeing it a lot recently, that either a church leader crashes and burns at some point. They have a moral failing or whatever. And I always feel like the moral failing is just the tip of the iceberg. Like it was just this really unhealthy pace underneath the water that led to this really big, this like really big moment that took them out of ministry. And I I see all of this stuff that's going on in this sort of philosophy and this cult of personality that yes, it, it inflates the pride a little bit of the leader, but more than anything, I think it puts undue weight on them. Mm. Like this weight of, I have to carry so much because I can't ever hand this off to somebody else. And when David said he was going to leave for a year, the thing we were kind of walking our elder team through was a little bit of that. Like, I know it seems like we we make it look easy on a Sunday morning, but it's not. Mm-hmm. And each time a lead pastor gives a sermon or leads a, a something backstage or whatever, they're they're pulling a little bit of their emotional strength away. You know, there's something that's getting drawn away from them. And if the withdrawals out outdo the the input in their life, at some point you're just gonna tip over. Like you you just can't deal with that. And so I think what the Lord is doing is unwinding that. And what we've seen with our church is so our, our leaders stepped out And we built a teaching team kind of alongside him that wasn't just cursory. It wasn't just a like, hey, once a month we get a shot. It started to become like where he was preaching half the time and the team was preaching half the time, which for our church was pretty radical. That was like a half the time, you know? Right. And Wade, all all we've really seen is blessing. I, I don't know how else to explain it, but I think 
Did people leave when David left because they liked him? Sure. In a church, our, our church is about 1,000 to 1,500 people on a Sunday morning. So you're going to get people that do that. Do they do it in a noisy way? Yeah, sometimes, you know. Mm-hmm. But once we pushed through that season, we've seen this blessing of the Lord on those of us that got opportunity to step up into that place of preaching a little bit more, leading a little bit more, and our bench has gotten far stronger because of it. We've also been able to lead our church through this idea of, hey, what happens on Sunday morning, this one hour mm-hmm. once a week, is it's not is not the end all be all of following Jesus. Yes. It's like a little tiny bit, you know, it's like a, it's like you're on a marathon and we're handing you a little bit of Gatorade. We're encouraging <laughs> you. We're, you know, like that's it. But, but then you're moving on after that. And our job as church leaders are not to, to build fans. We're, we're to make disciples. So we, we are to equip the saints, as Paul said, for the work of the ministry And if we're not careful as church leaders, we begin to build this dependence on ourselves and we start to tell everybody like, hey, we're the professionals. When you need life help, when you need Jesus help, always come to us. We will pray for you. We will be the anointed ones, you know. And again, there's a place for leadership and honoring leaders and all of that, but it gets too too much when the weight we put on our leaders sinks them. And I think we're seeing that over and over and over. People just moral failure or just giving up or just going, you know what? Maybe I just, I'm not cut out for church world, you know? And and it's a travesty. It really is. I mean, right now is the season where the church really needs to be engaging in culture more than ever. Yeah, exactly. We're seeing this degradation in our culture that is a wide open spot for the gospel and for the kingdom to move forward. And we have to be the church that has enough in the tank to start moving into that realm. And there are so many church leaders that are like, I've been spinning my wheels for 25 years and I get a week off a year. My elder team's counting how many times I preach per year. Like these very silly markers for success in the church that just kill leaders. It just kills the best leaders that we've got. And I think we've got to get into this place of the, you know, really the biblical model for leadership is the fivefold ministry. You know, Paul in Ephesians talked about the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. And he said before that, that the foundation of the church being built on the apostles and the prophets, which is kind of wild to me, the prophets are the kind of wild card, you know, they're the ones that we are the most reluctant to hand the microphone to on a Sunday morning. And the apostles who are thinking about growing and spreading and like, let's go here and let's go there. And they're leading leaders and and a lot of times, apostles and the prophets don't necessarily even get along with each other. Like, they're kind of different personalities. And Paul, pointing that out for us in this contemporary season that we find ourselves in, it's kind of like, well, we've built our foundation on maybe the evangelists and the teachers, or, hmm. you know, what is that foundation that we're building And again, not to disparage any church, like I think the Lord is lovingly and slowly shifting us into something different. And he's not calling us to shout at each other and to bring a bunch of disunity. Like that's easy to do. What's harder to do is to start seeing it happen in your community. Like the Lord has given you responsibility, not over the leadership of Elevation, most likely, (laughs) uh, or the leadership of Hillsong or the leadership of Passion. But what is the church that you call home? That's the place where you really have the ability to meet with leadership, to, to talk with them, to pray for them, to encourage them. But I, I'm seeing that shift happen. And I think as people are coming up against, like Jesus said, the chief cornerstone, he's the chief cornerstone. And if you come against the chief cornerstone, it will break you, yeah. you know? And there's a lot of church philosophy that's getting broken right now on the cornerstone of Jesus. And I think we should, as a church, have this sort of Holy Spirit curiosity. I felt this in January. Like, I've, I've, I've started to open my hands a little bit more and go, Lord, I've seen you move this way before, and it's really exciting. I sensed that something changed, and now I'm like a student of the mm. Spirit again. And I'm like, teach, what does this new season look like? How do we lead in this? You know, what, is the, what does the church need to do? And I've been finding time and time again— that the Spirit's been preparing the church for um, whatever may come in this next season. And I don't think it's going to be necessarily an easy season, but I think that he's equipping his church for the people that are listening 
we're being equipped, we're being grounded, our roots are getting deeper, uh, we're finding more joy, um, not in the bigness of like an outcry tour, but in the smallness of like discipling one or two people, parenting our kids really well. I mean, honestly, I go, I, I get to reach a lot of different leaders and speak to a lot of different leaders. And I've written a couple of books. All of that's great. If I really look at the people, though, that I'm responsible for and the people that I really have deep influence um, over, it's a small number of people. You know, yeah. I've got like 10 to 20 people really in my life, primarily my kids, that my job is to disciple them, to lead them into becoming more like Jesus. And I think the Lord is kind of dismantling the sense that you're not important if you don't have a ton of Instagram followers, you don't have a big church, you don't, you know, God's dismantling that and reminding us, hey, how do you, how you lead your home matters. Wow. How you're witness to your neighbor, like how, like your witness to your neighbors, it's, it really matters. How you present yourself at work and all of that. I mean, we tend to just, for whatever reason, discount that. But that is the foundation for anything that the Lord does. And these big dreams, and it's funny, I'm like, I've written a book about it. I, I love talking about big dreams. At the same time, these are just high points in your life that are the, the minority moments in your life. The majority of what we're called to is to something a lot smaller, a lot simpler, um, something that provides you space to breathe and gives you time off and lets you set aside work maybe in the afternoon and say, I need to go home and give my kids some better attention. You know, I know it's kind of all over the place right there, but I mean, th these are little inklings that Man. I see the Lord doing in the church. I want to chase like every thread you just <laughs> pulled on right there. Um, <laughs> but I mean, well, I was going to say this too. So we were, we were just in, so we're a church that's um, actually officially with practicing the way, uh, which is John Mark Comer's thing. Um, our pastor, David, he used to do ministry with John Mark in, in, um, in Oregon, and we were meeting with their team a little bit and we we're talking about our season. And John looked at me and he was like, make sure you're taking notes because I think that churches letting their pastors go for six months to a year is kind of the future. And he said, make sure and write some of this stuff down, like the good, the bad, the ugly. What is the process of, the, of what you're going through? And really we are, we're kind of paying attention to this going, it was no wisdom on our part. Really, the Lord just brought this up. And we have a, a leader, David, who just really listens to the spirit and says yes to whatever the Lord says. And now we're just kind of taking notes like, Lord, what are you doing in this? You know, man, I love that posture you talked about just being like, Lord, I'm, I'm more open. I have my hands open to be a student of the spirit right now, because I think it's so easy to want to hold so tightly to how God moved in the past or how God is moving in someone else's ministry. And like you said, like yeah. elevation may be graced for one thing, but I don't think that's the grace that most churches have. I think in most churches yeah. or at least a lot of worship leaders I talk to are trying to be something that they were never designed to be. And mm. I think there's such a heavy burden and a heavy weight that comes with that. And so what you're saying, yep. I think can bring so much freedom. And even when you were talking about your kids, I had a moment a couple of weeks ago where I was actually at the Elevation Worship live recording. And it's my first time going to one of those since I've been off staff. And so I had all the feelings. Yeah. And the lie that I tell myself <laughs> or the enemy tells me is, oh, you're not important anymore because you're not part of that big thing or you're not as yeah. special anymore. And as I was thinking that, I looked over and I saw my whole family to my right and I saw my daughters worshiping. And I felt like the Lord said, mm. you're important to them. And yeah. it was just that reminder like, in this season, there's nothing better I can give my life to than to disciple and pastor and lead my own family. Absolutely. And it was such a loving correction from the Holy Spirit in that moment when I found like unhealthy thought patterns like cycling through my brain. Oh, yeah. And I just think it's a reminder that we all need, not just as pastors, yeah. but just in life in general. Yeah. What would you say, though, to the pastor who says, okay, or the church leader, staff member, who says, okay, I didn't even set out to create a system that I didn't want to be in, but now I'm in a system that's not healthy and it's crushing me. Yeah. Where would you tell them to start towards, like what's the first step towards health? Well, I would say, you know, paying attention to your weekly rhythms is, is a really important thing, obviously taking some time there. I think when it comes to, and there's a lot that can be said about all of that, you know, um, rhythms of rest, rhythms of vacation, 
But where you'll inevitably find yourself in is the you'll become crashing into the biblical idea of the biblical idea of sabbatical, of you know every six years let you know the ground rest, like it says in in uh, in the Old Testament. It's like you're supposed to work another field for a year and then come back to it. And I think that rhythm of like the the soil that the Old Testament is talking about is is really prophetic for like the 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 health of the soil of our heart, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you're going to come crashing into this place where you're going, I'm going to need some time off. And you and I talked about this because I had just taken sabbatical. I mean, I we knew this season was coming up. So when I say David and we had this conversation, we had it like two years before he left. So it wasn't like it was like two weeks. He's like, hey, guys, I'm <laughs> burned out. It's time for me to go. So it, we had two years to really start slowly changing things. And so I would say, you know, if you're a church leader, you're in the system already and you're going, I can't imagine making this change. I think you'd be amazed at what you could do if you take a real slow approach and you go, okay, I know I need some time off. Let me start talking with my leaders. Let me start preparing the way. Let me start talking with my elder team and saying, hey, I'm going to start bringing in guest speakers just a little bit more. And I'm going to be there. I'm going to be standing in front row worshiping. I'm going to be there amening that leader, you know. But I am going to start empowering other people to do that. What's required is obviously telling your leadership, but it's also a level of humility for you as the leader to take a to, to take a step back and start celebrating other leaders. As you start shifting that culture, you'll start finding that your values, the value that you bring to the table, especially on the elder level or your direct report level or whatever where your value used to just be in how often you're standing on stage, that will start to tip into how great of leadership you are building around you and creating those moments like the with Paul and Timothy. You know, it's like, I'm sending Timothy to you. Paul could have been like, I need to go, <laughs> Timothy, because I'm the guy, you know, like, have you seen these epistles I've written? I really need to be the one there. He doesn't do that. He's like, I'm sending Timothy. He honors the heck out of Timothy. He's like, this guy's amazing. You're going to, you know, this is the sort of biblical idea of leadership that we have to start embracing. And where I think you feel out of control as a leader is when you start feeling like, how do I want to say it? I think the best, better way to say it is this. If you're feeling like you don't have any control over that, most likely it's an internal struggle and not an organizational struggle that you're really confronting. So if you're insecure as a leader, you might go, I'm burned out, but you find yourself going to every single event because you cannot untangle your your identity with what your church is doing. Mm -hmm. And you have to have this loving, like, arms distance between what you do and who you are and what your church does and who you are. So for me, I'm like, you know, this this Wednesday, we have a prayer service. I'm not in charge of any of it. Could some of it go weird? It could, you know, could could the song choice maybe not be what I want it to be? It could be. But I've already just let go mentally of it, and I'm going to show up and just enjoy whatever it is, you know. And for leaders, I think that's, you just, honestly, you just have to confront a lot of the, maybe the pride you're bringing to the table, mm. uh, the lies that you're believing about your own importance that make you exhausted. And it is like that that prideful taskmaster that we sometimes start to serve is completely graceless. I mean, mm. the, the pride that tells you you're the best leader in the room is also the thing that adds 8,000 pounds on your shoulders, you know? Yeah. It is not... That idol of being the, the best one in the room is is not gracious on you. It's very hard on you. And so I think you have to start with yourself. And you can be you can really see some changes in organizations. If you're feeling like, hey, my, my heart attitude actually is really good. I've been working on that. Then you just have to start working on your leaders, you know, your elder team and everyone else. Take them out to lunch. Don't feel like one of my favorite books in the world is how to lead when you're not in charge. Don't feel like you have no power because you have some. You could go meet with leaders and say, hey, let's go out to lunch. Let's talk about this a little bit and start planting the seeds for you doing a sabbatical or something like that. Sabbatical changed my life. I mean, three months away, uh, it absolutely changed my life. And it's not because I got a lot of rest. I think that's kind of a misnomer. It was like, Honestly, in some ways, I felt like I was a a worse person after my three months of sabbatical. (laughs) And what the Lord highlighted is, 
you've got a problem and you can't blame your work anymore. So now what are you going to do with that knowledge? You know, if you never take time off, you never get that awesome opportunity to grow deeper, to really know how to grow better as a leader. And when I came back after three months of sabbatical, it just radically changed me. And my whole team knew it. My whole team's like, wow, you seem like you're more relaxed. You seem like your authority has actually risen because you're not worried about all the details, you know, like all these things that everyone is going, oh, okay, now we get why sabbatical is so important. So I was all over the place, but hopefully there's something (laughs) meaningful in there. It, It was really great. I was thinking about, you know, when Jesus talks about pruning and I think we in the church are so obsessed with outward facing metrics that always have to be going up and assuming that that is what growth is. Yeah. But a lot of times growth is cutting things back and doing the things that might seem to diminish you for a season mm-hmm. on all the outward metrics, but it's really what God wants to do within you in that season that produces the fruit that's actually going to last. Absolutely. And I think we as a church and we as individuals have to be more comfortable with embracing those pruning seasons. Mm-hmm. And actually sometimes knowing when, okay, I've actually, yes, sometimes the Lord cuts us back and sometimes we need to be wise enough to know when we need to cut ourselves back Yes, and make that yeah. space. You know, you bring up sabbatical and I hear people when I talk about this sometimes say, well, that sounds awesome for the pastor to be able to do that, but my job doesn't give me a sabbatical. How do I find that same sense of rest yeah. as a teacher mm. or as a mechanic or, you know, what fill in the blank with your job, how do, yes. how can they incorporate those same principles? Well, I think the rhythms of rest are really important. So there's weekly rhythms, there's daily rhythms of rest, weekly rhythms of rest, and then kind of, you know, on a larger scale, uh, these kind of annual or even over a six or seven year period. I will say I've talked to some people that work not in the church world and they've actually had conversations with their boss saying, Hey, I'm feeling X, Y, and Z. And I would really love the opportunity to fill in this gap for a month. And would you be willing to let me have a month off? And I've talked with a lot of people in the working world. They're, um, they're amazed at how receptive their bosses are to that sort of idea. I know three months is a long time. Honestly, I feel like three months for sabbatical was great. After one month, I really did gain about 90% of what I would have gained the other two months, you know. After month three, I was like, okay, I I get it, Lord. I'm rested <laughs> up. When am I going back to work, you know? One month was really the life-changing section for me. So I think maybe, and maybe you are a teacher and you're like, that's there's no way I can do that. that teachers, for the most part, which really really nice, you get maybe your summers or yeah. whatever. So maybe those moments where you have off and you're you're tempted to just pack them full of things, maybe do something different. Sabbatical for us, the first month of our sabbatical was in Peru. We got out of America and we went into a completely different world. And so we we were in the middle of the Amazon jungle. Nobody there had ever heard of Hillsong or, you know, like elevation. It was like completely different. What they valued was totally different. And it was really refreshing because it was like, okay, you get disconnected from it, you know, because it's it's hard when you're in the middle of it to, to disconnect from it. So we went somewhere like that. I think a lot of people, when you do like a two-week even missions trip or something like that, and you, instead of believing that rest only comes by sitting by the beach. Sometimes rest comes from working the other field. Again, that's kind of the biblical idea of it. So maybe you're taking a couple of weeks and you're doing actually a missions trip, which feels like, oh my gosh, I'm pouring out. It's going to make me more tired. You'd be amazed. You do come back tired, but you come back with a lot of perspective. You come back with a lot of, I've been away from my day to day. And that's also pretty refreshing. And then if you're, you know, so so if you only have that kind of two weeks off a year sort of situation, you can really think outside of the box in terms of what you think is recharging. Because so many people I talk to, like they've been waiting for that vacation and they get that beach house and they go to the beach house and then they come back and they're like, I'm just as tired as when I left, you know, that kind of bitter, I need a vacation from my vacation sort of comment, you know. And I think so many times is like, we're just kind of, we've got a weird idea of what rest is. It's not necessarily just napping. Um, rest also does include working. I heard this great line that if you work with your mind, Sabbath with your hands. Hmm. And for those of us in the church, we work with our mind. One of the things that in 2020, I was really like spinning my wheels, like a lot of people were. And I found myself building tables in our garage, just building these big tables, outdoor tables for people, for clients. 
And it was a little side money, not much. I was undercharging for sure. But that was kind of restful for me. You know, like you come back from church after a long day of working and you're kind of like, what did I really accomplish today? You know, you have this, you're struggling with all these things emotionally. And I find myself going, okay, I need to work with my hands a little bit. And know at the end of the day, I built this table. I could hit it with my hands. I know what I did today, you know. So there's a lot of different perspectives when it comes to Sabbath. But really, I I do think it's thinking outside of the box a little bit and having some brave conversations with your leadership or your team, no matter who they are. If they're they hate Jesus and there's nothing about them, you know, like you've got a secular leader that really doesn't whatever work you're in. You'd be amazed, though, at how receptive receptive people are to the idea of getting a little bit of extended time off. You know, I hear a lot of teaching about Sabbath. And I've talked to a lot of people about sabbaticals, but rarely do I find anybody using that language of working the other field. Yeah. And like really going back to that biblical concept. So I think that's a really, really great and important handle. Yep. Let me ask you this one final question. You mentioned about the church engaging culture. Mm. You know, how can we as the church, whether you're in full-time vocational ministry or not, yeah. how can we as the church better prepare ourselves to be a light in the darkness of the world today? I think you have to have the eye for, like Jesus said, chasing the one, you know? It's like, you've got the 99, but what's that one? Like, what's that one thing that God's calling you to? In January, our church, we go through a fasting season. And so we're we're in the tail end of this fasting and prayer season. And I often, as I'm coming into it, I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm expecting to hear from you about my vocation, about my calling, about the dreams, about, you know, when David comes back, I have this feeling of like, okay, what am I going to be doing at that point? Where, you know, Mm -hmm. and in the middle of the sabbatical or in the middle of the fasting season, I got a call that my grandma was sick in the hospital. And my grandma, I was the first Christian in my family. And so my grandma, I've talked with her about Jesus many times, and she's always been real um, resistant. And she's 90 years old at this point. And Honestly, I had really lost faith that the Lord would do anything with her. I've like, I've seen her just reject Jesus so much that I just, I had no faith left that she would. And so I went down to Tucson. That's where she lives with, you know, with my family and helping my dad out. And one night I felt like the Lord said, I want you to go to the hospital tomorrow. I said, okay. And, and I knew, I'm like, I, I knew what that meant. I knew it meant, I want you to go tell your grandma about Jesus. Mm-hmm again. And I was a little nervous. It's so funny. Like I could, I've stood, probably like you, I've stood in front of 20,000 people and, and this is way scarier. Like your family, like that, that sort of feeling of like, they know me, I, you know? And so I went, I went that morning, I called my sister. I said, Hey, could you be my backup on this? I'm like, I need somebody to go with me. And, um, we were talking and, and, uh, and at some point, you know, I just mustered the courage. I said, hey, grandma, I got a big question for you. And she said, oh, a big question, you know. And she said, go for it, you know. And I said, do you believe in Jesus? And she went off on, I do believe in Jesus, but she grew up Catholic. She said, you know, I haven't gone to confession in a long time. I haven't, you know, blah, 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 blah. And the next hour, me and my sister just shared the gospel with her and said, hey, it's not about you earning your place with with God, that really matters. It's the it's the the gospel, the beauty beauty of Jesus is what He did to come to us, you know. And He's bridged that gap. And we went through all that. And at some point, again, I mustered the courage and I said, "Do you want to pray to receive Jesus?" And she said, "Yeah." Oh wow! And it was the most amazing thing, Wade. And it was two two weeks ago, so it's still pretty fresh, and I still feel pretty emotional about it. Because after that, she's gone way downhill. She really is. She's in hospice. It was kind of her last day that she was very clear thinking. And and the Lord knew, like he, he lined this moment up for me. And all the things that I thought the Lord was going to teach me about the big stuff at church and what my position was going to be, none of that mattered. And I was like, this one win, if this is my only win in ministry this year, I am in the next decade. That's fine. Like this was my one win. And the next Sunday I stood in front of the church and I just said, you know, we have to stop idolizing the crowd and we have to start finding that one. Like if everyone in the church just went after that uncle or that coworker or that, mm-hmm. and and they're not mean about it and they're not trying to coerce them or anything. They're just looking for that Holy Spirit moment to be bold enough to say, 
hey, do you want to hear about Jesus? Do you want to come to church? And what I am picturing, Wade, is I think in this next season, what the Lord is doing is if everybody really, if we put as much time into getting the crowds together, if we put that same energy into just that one person, the Lord would double the church overnight. I mean, literally, it's like if we just went to that one person and we stopped beating ourselves up, like we need to have more Instagram followers or more, if you just lay all that stuff down and go, if I just tell one person about Jesus and my family, that will change the course of this country. And I think as we're looking at things and it's like you're seeing what's going on in the schools and what's going on in politics and you're like, okay, what does the church have to say about that? The most subversive thing that the church can do is engage into these small moments and that will shift everything. That will change everything. And I think the church has gotten so distracted by the big that we're really not valuing the small like we really need to be. And that is what I think is this radical shift that's happening in the church right now. Wow, that was beautiful. And praise God for that moment with your grandma. That's that's amazing. Oh yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I did not see it coming, that's for sure. But I think that's such a perfect moment to end on is if we can all just focus on the one, be be yeah. aware of how the Holy Spirit can use us in the small moments. And if our heart can be there and the eyes of our heart can be looking for those moments, there's no limit to what God can do in this season. And how he can use us. Absolutely. And it's such good news, right? It's like the other stuff feels so weighty. That one person feels like, I could do that. I could do that, you know? And that's the the kingdom's kingdom's really built on the miraculous small things. That's awesome. Ryan, this has been a blessing for me. I know for everyone listening, how can people keep up with you and follow you? Well, um, I'm on a fasting month, so I'm not really on social media right now, but at Ryan Romeo on Instagram. If I post anywhere, that's where, where I do post. And uh, I used to have a website and stuff, but I don't really have that stuff anymore. I'm sim- I'm simplifying a lot, Wade. So, but I do, I have a fair amount of followers, but I do get to DM. So if people DM me on Instagram, I definitely read those. So that's a really quick way to connect. Okay, awesome. Well, are you going to keep going with your podcast or is that? Well, it's on pause currently. Um, we will see when David gets back. Right now I am- You're focused on other things. Focused on yes. the church. That's that's my job. That's what I heard from the Lord. I got about another six months of that to go. We'll see after that. All right. Well, I encourage everybody to go read the book, catch up on the old podcast episodes. They're still good. Yeah, they're still good. There's a great episode with Wade on there uh, that I love in particular. Yes, you can, you can find it's, it. That was Dreamers and Disciples before there was Dreamers and Disciples. <laughs> That's right. Ryan, thank you so much, man. I thank God for you. And I just pray that you and your church will be blessed. Thanks so much, Wade. Right back at you. I wonder if as Ryan was talking about, you know, just reaching the one person, if there was a name that came to mind for you, somebody that God wants you to pray for in this season, that God wants you to encourage that God wants you to share your faith with? And what if this season is all about what God wants to do in that person's life and how He wants to use you to impact them and to help them see Jesus more clearly? So I just wanna encourage you, whatever came into your mind, whatever came into your heart, do it. Send the text, make the phone call, go see the person the next day, make the road trip. Whatever it is, obey what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do. Now, I pray that this episode blessed you. I pray that it encouraged you. I'd love it if you subscribed to the podcast, if you shared it with a friend. And no matter what, I can't wait to see you back here next week for Dreamers and Disciples.